And 20 years ago, uh, I stepped into this building for the first time. It was my first time uh, here at Desert Springs, and I don't quite remember what I was wearing, but I do remember my wardrobe at the time, again, 20 plus years ago. Uh, my wardrobe was primarily comprised of black t-shirts, blue jeans, and sneakers. <laughs> and I've grown a lot since then. Well, as I've reflected over these last couple of decades, I've come to realize my wardrobe hasn't substantially changed all that much, uh, but I have. I was thinking about the different ways that this church family has invested in me, has shown me kindness, graciousness, and hospitality, how many of you have been used of God uh, to impact my life, to shape me, to shape how I think, to shape how I uh, engage in the world. I uh, met Jesus in this church. I was baptized actually in this building right over there. I got married right here. Uh, I've baptized two of my kids here. Uh, this church means a great deal to me. Uh, but more than just uh, the memories, what the lasting impact it's had on me is that God has used you uh, to transform my life. I'm a different person than I was 20 so many, well, 20 some odd years ago. And I wonder about you. How have you grown? I know that we're all at a different stage in our process and journey with Jesus. For some of us, we're still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And still others of us, we've been following Jesus for a few years, still others many years. And I just wonder, for you, not only how have you grown, but right now, how are you growing? How are you growing? How are you growing in your mind and having your mind renewed? How are you growing in your heart or in your soul? How are you growing? An even bigger question for those of you that are part of Desert Springs, how are we growing together? How is God using this group of misfits with very little in common? In fact, we have almost nothing in common apart from Jesus. How is Jesus using us to grow and to shape one another. I'd like to invite you to consider that question today as we conclude our study called Manifold Wisdom. This idea, Manifold Wisdom, it comes from Ephesians uh, chapter 3 and 4. Um, let me just put it up here. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. And it's this idea of the, uh, the manifold wisdom of God being made known through the church. So check this out. Uh, this is an image of a prism, of a ray of light hitting a prism. And when you take a prism that's multifaceted or manifold, and you hit that prism with a beam of light, what comes out on the other side? All the different colors, right? And in the same way, through a diverse local church, the gospel light hits us, but then it, puts, it gets put on display in a diverse, a, 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 a multifaceted, a diverse form. So when the gospel light hits the church, so to speak, uh, we're putting it on display in diverse array. And we, we see this take form in many different ways. But as we're growing more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus, we also live like Jesus. We serve like Jesus. Jesus wants to grow us in the context of being the manifold wisdom of God. 
So we're going to continue on in this study. Actually, we're going to conclude the study today. Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. We're going to look specifically at how this growth happens and what it produces within us. So I'd invite you all uh, to join me there. You should have the text available in your handout today. And for those of you all joining us online, uh, we'll be again in Ephesians 3 and 4. If you have a print Bible, I'd encourage you to use it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible available, that's totally fine. Just go to Bible.com. Again, Ephesians 3 and 4. And we're using the Christian Standard Bible uh, today. Now, I did want to say that uh, one of the uh, things that we'll do, uh, have been doing during this series and will continue to do, uh, is after we gather for worship, uh, about 10.40, 10.45, we'll break and we'll have some coffee and snacks available out on the patio. And then at 11 o'clock, we've got a bunch of different groups going on all around campus. In fact, I know that many of y'all are going to be starting uh, the Rooted study today and just know that we've been praying for that program and for you Uh, that as you engage in that rooted study, that it would uh, truly uh, deepen your relationship with Jesus and your understanding of who you are and who we are as a church. So I'm excited to see how God uses that. Still others will be gathered in different Bible studies around campus, whether that's with our students or some of the adult studies. And then in here at 11 o'clock, I'll be hosting a sermon question and response And so during this whole sermon, uh, you can text in questions, and I will respond to them uh, at the 11 o'clock slot. So you can go grab some coffee and snacks. If you want to, you can meet me back in here, and then I'll do my best to respond to the questions, uh, concerns, complaints, or insults that you send in uh, as you text those in today. And so you can find the number for that in your handout. I think it's like right in the middle page. Uh, it's kind of around where we have the text, and so uh, just browse through that, find that number, and uh, you can text in those questions. Also, uh, your questions really do help me understand uh, how this is all working and how it's hitting you and how you're receiving it, so I would uh, love to have that uh, from you uh, today. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 3 and 4 together. We'll pick it up around uh, 9 and 10. And so this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing this church in a place called Ephesus, and he says this. That this grace was given to preach to the ethnocene. So this is, I've intentionally uh, transliterated the original Greek, uh, not just to be nerdy, which I know that we all love to be, but also to show you uh, that there's a word that often gets translated as, um, excuse me, that often gets translated as Gentile. But does anyone use the word Gentile in normal life? No, that's kind of a weird word. It's, kind of, it's actually one of the Latin translations for this word, ethnocene. But one of the things that I wanted to show by transliterating this is there is a very, there's an English word that's very similar to this, and it's ethnicity. Have you guys ever heard that word before? So ethnicity comes from this Greek word, which has a variety of different forms in the text, but it gets to this idea of identifiable people groups, right? And so when the Bible says all of the nations or all of the Gentiles, it's specifically talking about all of the ethnos or ethnicities of the world. And so uh, the gospel was given to Paul, this good news of God's grace was given to Paul to preach to all the peoples of the world the, what's the, what's the language here? Unfathomable riches of Christ. So he's saying that he wants to proclaim that his, he's been given this gift, uh, the, the good news of Jesus to proclaim the unfathomable riches of Christ. So that, what? The manifold wisdom of God might, this is mind-blowing, might be made known through the church. That idea of manifold, right? Various or multifaceted or various kinds. That the local church, the gathered bunch, the the diverse gathered bunch of misfits, 
One of the things that we do together is we put on display what? The manifold wisdom of God. So the, so the church is sometimes referred to, so, so check this out. Have you guys ever wondered why Jesus didn't wait till the internet? Like, wouldn't it have been, like, follow me now, wouldn't it have been, like, way easier, even if it was, like, dial-up, even if it was, like, AOL, right? Wouldn't it have been easier to get the message of the good news of the gospel out if Jesus would have just waited till internet? Or maybe made Al Gore show up sooner? Because he created, I think he invented the internet, is from what I remember, right? Why didn't Jesus just wait? Isn't, so check this out. Why didn't he just wait until there was mass media when it was easier to get the good news message out? Now watch this now. Because the simple disembodied proclamation of the good news of Jesus does not actually communicate the good news of Jesus. It requires a community of Jesus followers living the kingdom now to put on display the good news of the gospel. Jesus wants to spread his message through his body, which is the church, through a community of misfit Jesus followers who are unified. So check this out. <clears throat> the message of the gospel is on vivid display when a bunch of different misfits are bound together in unity and practice things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now let me ask you a question. In the normal world, where, where we get a bunch of difference together, let's just say political difference, or uh, economic difference, the rich and the poor, and Democrats and Republicans, and you put them all together, and you just say, Unite. Practice with one another. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Go. Uh, what invariably will happen? Will they be able to do it? Are you seeing any of that happening in our particular cultural moment? No, what we're seeing happening is what's been happening since the beginning of time, that when sin enters into our hearts, it causes disintegration of relationships, and we begin to uh, throw each other under the bus. This is the, uh, well, this is the first impact of sin that you see in Genesis 3, where there not only is there a disconnection between God and human, but between man and woman, and then it spirals out of control between communities and communities. This disintegration of relationships, it's a direct impact of evil. So when a bunch of misfits are bound together and unified, you know what? You know what a world that's apart from their creator looks in and says? Those people don't look like they belong together, but they're united. What is going on in there? What is causing these bunch of misfits to bind together? So this diverse, manifold, diverse wisdom of God is made known through the diverse local church. Uh, you guys ever heard of the, um, you guys already know this stuff. Um, what's the thing, the uh, Lord's, uh, pr the Lord's um, Prayer? You guys ever heard that before? It, it's, um, it, some of us are old-fashioned. We, we say it like, um, let me think, it's um, our, um, oh, that's right, our Father, uh, who art in heaven, uh, hallowed or holy is your name. What's the, do you guys know the next part? Oh, that's right, yeah, 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 okay, sorry, <clears throat> sorry. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. That prayer, watch me now, that prayer is that we as a people who are bound together by Jesus might right now live the kingdom now. We're going to live as if the kingdom of God is present with us because, spoiler alert, it is. We're going to live as if Jesus rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death because, again, spoiler alert, he did. And so we're going to live right now on earth as it is in heaven. And so let me ask you this. Is there socioeconomic, political, and ethnic division in heaven? No. Right? And so we're going to live right now unified. Now, here's the deal. <clears throat> I've met some of y'all. And y'all have met me. And it's very clear that Jesus is not done working on us yet. And so we're going we're gonna to not do it perfect, but we're going to posture ourselves towards deferring to one another, showing compassion to one another, give, showing long-suffering, bearing one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Jesus, right? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And as we do that, we'll get a glimpse of heaven. Now, this, this putting on display a manifold wisdom of God has direct application to how we spend our time and how we invest our resources. So follow me here. Uh, there's this historian named Rodney Stark, and he noticed that one of the things that was so striking about the earliest church, the, the, the church Jesus followers, who uh, were kind of gathering together around the first few hundred years uh, following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things he noticed was is that was striking about the church was not their power, not their, uh, not their government might or influence or their political power or their military power. What was striking about the church is that it was growing not through fighting but through serving. See, the Roman Empire grew by what? How did the Egyptian Empire grow? Right? The Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire grew through warfare, right? But, but the church, the kingdom of Jesus doesn't grow like this. It grows like this. It grows as people served. And one of the things Rodney Stark said was that as, as the Roman Empire, right, mightiest empire of the time, as it was subject to plagues where not even Caesar could fix the problem, people were fleeing the cities like crazy. If you had any means, you would get out of town because, you know, the plague's around and it's like, we're out of here because I don't want to get the plague. And so it was by and large the marginalized and the poor that were stuck the plague would come in, and inevitably, people would start dying. Many times, the plagues would so physically debilitate a person that they would simply die of starvation because they could not feed themselves. And one of the things that Rodney Stark teases out and that he's noticed over his historical survey and study is that there were pockets where people did live and were nursed back to health. In those pockets of the plague-infested Roman Empire, it was the Christians who stayed. It was the Christians who said, I have means, but instead of leaving, I'm going to stay and I'm going to serve. One bishop at the time was writing a letter and actually said that many of the people under his care decided to stay. And he said that, that the Christians would take on the disease from the one that they were serving, taking on their death in order to give life. How did the church grow? Like this? 
are like this. See, the church does not grow when it becomes the church militant. The church only grows when it serves. I'd like to show you in the text. Watch this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Rooted and grounded in love. That's why I love the study that we uh, encourage everyone to go through called Rooted, because we want to be a people who are rooted in the love of God. But I want you to notice this, that we would not only know the love of Christ, but it's the kind of knowing the love that surpasses all knowledge, which means that we can never totally exhaust the love of Jesus. By the way, this is why we sing, right? One of the reasons why we sing every Sunday is because all of our thinking about God, all of our dwelling on the love of Jesus, at some point in time it just terminates into this mysterious cloud that we just can't quite get our hands on. And so our heart's response is to start thinking cognitively about it and simply to start singing. That's why worship is such an important rhythm in our lives. Because when we are experiencing the love and the grace of God, thinking about it's only part of it. Sometimes we have this experience and we just need to sing. I actually, I want to invite you on September 30th, we're going to be hosting a night of worship, an extended time for us as a church family to gather together and just to sing, to just reflect on God's love for us and to respond in song. You can find out more information uh, in your bulletin on that night of worship coming up again on this, uh, the 30th of September. Uh, the Apostle Paul goes on, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. How many of you have ever seen a need in this community that made your heart ache? And how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us feel absolutely overwhelmed? incapable of meeting that need, unqualified to be someone even maybe even to say something about it, much less do something about it. When we hear of things like Phoenix Rescue Mission or the many needs in our community, our hearts ache, but then we wonder, how will I have the strength to even know what to do, to even participate? I want to encourage you to zoom in on this text in verse 20. Whose power works in us? Our own or Christ's? Come with me now. When Jesus calls us to follow him and he calls us to serve, he also promises to never leave us or forsake us. He also promises that he's never done with us. He also promises that our service, right, our service will be done not by our own might, not by our own power, but by the spirit of the living God. In my experience, here's why that is uh, frustrating. Because when I'm operating on the power of the spirit of the living God, rarely do I feel confident on the front end. You guys know what I'm talking about? I, I see the thing, and I feel like God's calling me to step into it, so, I t- so, I, so I, I, I'm right there in that moment, and I'm feeling like, God, it seems like you're calling me into this space, into this act of service, and I'm going to take a step forward, 
But I, what am I feeling when that happens? Do you think I'm feeling like overconfident and like powerful? Now, usually, I think for you and for me, when we step into those spaces, we're feeling fear and anxiety and uncertainty. And it's not until we look back and we say, oh my goodness, I think God empowered me for that act of service or for that ministry. Like, what do you think goes on in the heart of someone who stays during a plague? I've totally got this. No, we say, Lord, I, Lord I'm going to step into this space of service. I'm going to step into it because my, my tendency is this, but I'm going to step into a space of service. And Lord, I need you. Every day I need you, hour by hour, moment by moment, in order to live this way, an, a life of service and generosity. Lord, I need you. And here's what Paul says. Do you know whose power is working within us? The resurrected Christ. So friends, I want to encourage you that wherever God is calling you to step in to minister and to serve, that the power of Christ is operating within you and that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. I want to pause for a moment and ask you to consider this question. Actually, we're not going to do anything weird, but I, I want to ask you to close your eyes. If you just close your eyes and calm your heart for a moment. Maybe even take a big deep breath in, let it out. What does it mean to you that the resurrected Christ is present here with you now in this moment. What does it mean to you that the resurrected Christ is present with you right now in this moment? That he is with you, that he is for you, that he knows you more deeply than you know your own self, that he delights in you. that he empowers you, that he loves you, that he promises to never leave you or forsake you. What does it mean now that the resurrected Christ is present with you even in this moment? Now to him who is able, to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, come back to me now. Been thinking about the last 20 years and today as we think about terrorist attacks on 9-11. I know for many of us who were, uh, who were, we would remember where we were, were that day. My wife and I had an opportunity to visit the 9-11 Museum and Memorial in New York earlier this year. And one of the things as I was going through, one of the things, if you go through the museum, there's all these pictures and personal effects of, of many of the folks who uh, died that day. And there's also sections of those who had who had ran, run towards the building, so firefighters, police officers, other neighbors who wanted to help. And one of the things that struck me, and, I, and it just, just follow me here, one of the things that struck me was just how ordinary these people were. 
Now hear me on this. I'm not, I'm not showing disrespect. I, I know we use the language like hero, and even I was kind of walking in using language like, you know, heroes, heroic. But, but as I saw like their typewriter and their CD player, their stationary set, saw pictures of their families, I just, what was so striking to me was how ordinary just normal men and women like you and me who in that moment did something extraordinary. Do you know what type of people God empowers through his spirit to live lives of service that put on the manifold wisdom of God on display? Do you know what type of people he uses? Ordinary people, just like you and me. And I hate to break it to you, right? Part of the reason of that is because all the glory goes to him, right? Sometimes when I see God working through you, I know it's got to be God. <laughs> I think, look at God, because there's no way that they would have been able to. It's just through ordinary people. And God promises that when we step out in service to empower us moment by moment, this is how he gets the glory forever and ever. And then it goes on in verse 11. I love this. I, there's this really bizarre, I, I wrestle with this all the time. There's this bizarre uh, thing in Christian traditions all around the world where we've kind of hierarchicalized. Uh, we, we've created like power positions within the church. And I, and I totally get sometimes the need for that or how that kind of works. But, you know, there's this idea that like being a pastor is like being the CEO of the church. And it's just, not, it's just not how it works in the scripture. And, that's, and we're trying to not have it work that way here either. The leadership in the church, what we usually call leadership in the church, is simply people who are equipping people to do this. It's just, so, the, so like my job is to simply equip people to the best of my ability for works of ministry. And by the way, in your Bible, the work of ministry is just the word uh, service. So a minister is just a servant, right? So it's not like this crazy cool title. Um, by the way, uh, in certain countries, they will call people the minister or prime minister. And the idea is uh, public service. So we have that here too. So, so here, <laughs> Paul is meditating on the fact that Jesus has given his grace, that he's given his good gifts of love, grace, and mercy. But here he also says that Jesus gave, and I, I think he's riffing on this concept of gifts, uh, the, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. So you've got this five-fold ministry. And are some of these words weird? Yeah, they are weird. And, and some people have really abused these words. So let me just kind of, let me try my best to de-weird it. Okay? So an apostle is, an ascent, is a sent one. One who's sent. Right? So, so this was, and by the way, all these words, totally normal words in the Greco-Roman Empire. These weren't like spiritual words. They, they were actually positions other people had. Okay, so an apostle is one who's sent. Okay, so Jesus sends uh, people out, and that would be the apostolic ministry. Some are prophets, and, and a prophet is just someone who speaks God's truth to people, just a person who speaks God's truth to people. Uh, most of the time, the prophets were calling out um, of the defiant, wealthy, and uh, powerful for their injustice and their evil. Uh, some is evangelist. An evangelist is someone who just evangels, which just means good news. 
Uh, an, evangel, uh, an evangelist would be someone who would go into a town and say, good news, everybody, uh, Caesar's won the war, or whatever it is. So evangelists, and then some as pastors. By the way, this is the only time in Scripture that, in my reading that pastor is set up like it's a position. In fact, I don't think these are actually positions. I think these are giftings and postures. This is not a hierarchical uh, CEO at the top level infrastructure for your organization. These are gifts and giftings that God gives to the church. And then teachers, people who, well, this one should be easy, uh, teach. Uh, but a pastor, you know what probably a better translation for pastor is, actually? And in fact, this Greek word is translated uh, this way every other time. It's the word shepherd. I, I, uh, like pastoral, right? Pastor, pastoral. Uh, Jesus is, uh, refers to himself as the good shepherd. And a good shepherd just says, come on. Hey, there's, good, there's goodness over here. There's danger over there. There's goodness over here. Come on. And so the, uh, the, the scripture says that Jesus gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what purpose? Come on, say it to me. Quick, I got my John Madden game going on here. Okay? Equipping the saints for what? For the works of service. For what? Okay. Okay. How does the church grow? Remember I asked you that question, how are you growing? And then I pivoted to say, how are we growing? How does the church grow? Now, in consumeristic, capitalistic, individualistic America, here's what we oftentimes think when we say the word church growth. More attendance. More butts in seats. So butts and budgets. So you say, so people come to me frequently, Caleb, what's your church growth strategy? And, and I fell into that trap to begin with, butts and budgets. We need them. We could just grow that, everything will be healthy. But you know what I realized? It's easy to attract a crowd. You just say things people want you to say. Because everybody likes to hear what they want to hear. You know what's very difficult? is depth, life transformation, deep maturity. You see, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is not numerical growth, although that can be the case. He's talking about the type of growth that means that people are equipped for what? Equipped to serve. So here's my question for you. We are all ministers. We are all servants to one another and to this community. And we have all been uniquely gifted by Jesus to serve. How is Jesus calling you to serve in this season? So... Not, listen, you guys got to follow me here. All of this stems from not guilt, shame, expectation, or obligation, but the fact that the living Christ is ever-present with us that loves us more than we could ever imagine and then calls us to put on his manifold wisdom, to put his manifold wisdom on display by living together as a group of people, a bunch of misfits unified in Jesus by living not like this but like this. And so what does this look like 
for you now in this season. Now, for many of us, we might be feeling like, me? I don't have any gifts to give. I'm retired. I'm too young. I'm not educated enough. I'm too busy. Okay, so I want to just zoom in here. I don't know what this looks like for you. There are thousands of opportunities. Let me just help us tease this out just for a brief moment. So for some of us, it may be serving in like a ministry like in and through a local church like Desert Springs. So maybe working with kids or working with students or working with the tech booth, working with the worship and arts team, working with the host team, whatever it might be. For some of us, that may be the case and we'd love to help organize that. For many others, it's serving through uh, organizations like Phoenix Rescue Mission or organizations like Habitat for Humanity or organizations like Hustle Phoenix or, or whatever it might be. Okay, and for some of us, that may be what God's calling us to now. Still, for others of us, it may just be a daily posture in prayer. Lord, show me how you want me to live like this today in a way that we couldn't even imagine to program or schedule. I remember I was talking with uh, someone who's very dear to me, and uh, I was talking to uh, his wife, and she was saying, you know, I really, I just feel so guilty that, that I'm not able to do ministry. You know, I've got, you know, three of my kids have this, a chronic disease that requires my constant attention. And, and both uh, my mom and my in-laws, they're, they're both dying, and so I'm helping to serve them through hospice care at the house. I just wish I could find a way to minister. And I remember that that broke my heart because she was ministering in a way right in her gifting, right in her calling, day by day living like this, but my heart was broken because she couldn't see it. So I don't know what it looks like, but I know it, it, it looks like this, and a lot of times it feels scary. And we feel incompetent. We feel under-resourced. We feel like we, we don't know how to do it. And so, again, I want to invite you to reflect on the presence of Christ with you now.